Wednesday, May 23rd, 2012, episode number two of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Welcome inside another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast with yours truly, Alex Reamer, available exclusively on footballnation.com. Thanks go out to all of you who listened to episode one last week, got some positive feedback about the show, want to continue the host and listener interaction because as I said last week, I think that's what makes podcasts really cool. It's like radio on demand. But we went through that spiel last week on the show in our inaugural episode. We do have a schedule set the Football Nation Today podcast um, until the latter portion of the summer. Once NFL training camps begin, and I love football as much as the next guy, but I also love the summer as much as the next guy too. So let's not rush time too quickly here. Uh, so for the next uh, month, month and a half or so, next two months, really until NFL training camps kick off end of July, early August. So I guess two months is a better read on that. Um, the NFL Nation Today podcast will come at you every Wednesday right here on footballnation.com. And as always, you can always hit me up on Twitter, at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle, and my email address as well is areamer at bu.edu. Uh, this week, our second show, we're starting to incorporate other voices into the program. It won't just be me rambling at you for 30 minutes or so, though as much as I would enjoy that. I know you folks out there in podcast land enjoy another perspective stopping by the show from time to time. This week in our first down segment, Kyle O'Connor, a uh, contributor, of course, here to FootballNation.com. I wrote a very interesting article uh, this past week about four NFL teams, one in the AFC, three in the NFC, who did not make the playoffs in 2011, who he thinks can contend for the postseason in 2012. Kyle was kind enough to stop by the show, join us on our first down segment to talk about that article and a couple other NFL-related questions as the season creeps up on us. And again, emphasis on the word creeps, because I like football as much as the next guy but I also like the summer as much as the next guy as well. So Kyle O'Connor joined me for first down to talk about his article about potential surprise playoff teams for 2012. Then in the second down segment, interesting article published in Forbes magazine late last week regarding the highest paid coaches in sports and the highest paid coaches in the NFL. Are NFL coaches overpaid? We'll talk about that in the second down segment. In the third down segment, have a couple of interesting big up slowdowns for you. And in the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. This rant, a bit longer than last week's, but it also has to do with Bounty Gate. The NFLPA wants those suspensions appealed. Hypocritical? Huh, I absolutely think so. It's Football Nation Today with Alex Reamer. Back in a moment with our first down segment and Kyle O'Connor. <laughs> Welcome back to the Football Nation Today podcast with yours truly, Alex Reamer. And joining us today for a first down segment is Kyle O'Connor, an NFL and NCAA columnist right here at Football Nation. Kyle is also featured on Fox Sports and Emerson Yardbarker. Kyle, how are you? Thanks for joining the show today. I'm doing pretty well. Appreciate you having me on. How are you? Doing well. Again, we're talking with Kyle O'Connor. You can read him right here on footballnation.com and several other online outlets. And Kyle, you recently penned an article here for us at Football Nation about the four teams who have been destined to make the playoffs in 2012 that didn't in 2011. What I found interesting about the article, Kyle, is three teams from the NFC are on that list. Cardinals, Cowboys, Eagles. One team from the AFC, the Chiefs. 
So does that mean you deem the NFC to be more wide open than the AFC entering this upcoming season? Yeah, I do. When you look at the AFC last year, uh, you had relatively healthy teams across the board. Um, except for late in the season, in the South you had Matt Schaub with the injury down in uh, Houston. But, you know, with Indianapolis, Jacksonville, and Tennessee in that division, it didn't really matter. When you look at the NFC, Mike Vick battled injury. Um, the Cowboys couldn't stay healthy at running back. And even uh, Des Ryan Miles Austin had problems. And, you know, those are two teams that made my list. I think if Tony Romo can stay healthy, Mike Vick can stay healthy. They have tons of weapons. They both improved on defense. And uh, I think it'll be tough for the Giants to even get back to the playoffs. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, though, Kyle, because I, of course, am located right here near Boston, and so I followed the Patriots, you know, very closely last season. And, you know, the commentary here was almost swift because we looked at the NFC and we saw teams like the Green Bay Packers, the San Francisco 49ers, you know, the Saints, which we'll get into a second. This year might be different for them, but the Saints, how strong they were. The Lions were a 10-win team. Uh, the Giants most certainly with that defense and their pass rush, so they didn't really catch fire until late. We looked at the NFC, Kyle, and we said the NFC is the uh, league, is a conference with all the strong teams, whereas we looked at the AFC, and the Patriots didn't really play a real quarterback uh, from like week eight until they faced Eli Manning in the Super Bowl. So it's funny right. how you see the NFC is more wide open, because over here in New England, Kyle, we looked at the field last year, and it seemed to us that the stronger teams were really in the NFC last year, and it seemed to be the AFC that was just piled with a lot of uncertainty. But obviously you see it differently. Well, I see – I mean, I think as far as reaching the Super Bowl, the AFC could, would be considered more wide open. I think, um, you know, though as far as making the playoffs, I think you're going to see more turnover in the NFC. Um, like, you know, in the AFC, how's that the Patriots are the class of the East. You know, nothing, nothing's going to change there. Um, I don't see the Bengals making a return trip. Um, I think uh, they're looking at Andy Dolman hit a sophomore swung and – I just don't see him to repeat what he did last year. And then, you know, you have the Steelers and you have the Ravens. You know, they're, they're always going to be there. I expect them to be back. Out west, I do see a little bit of turnover. Um, I still I still think the Broncos, you know, they can get a wild card, but I really like the Chiefs this year. They're the lone AFC team on my list that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in the south, I mean, I mean to be honest, look, the Colts aren't going to make the playoffs. The Jaguars aren't going to make the playoffs. It's going to be the Texans or the Titans. It's probably going to be the Texans. So I think you're going to see a lot of the, you know, same characters in this year's playoff. But uh, in the in the in the NFC, excuse me, um, I, I really think you're going to see more turnover just based on health. And you know, you mentioned the Packers and the 49ers. Uh, I don't I don't expect anything to change there. I expect them both to be back. But um, the wild cards could switch up. The East could switch up, and, you know, with all the Saints problems, I really think the South could switch up, too. I guess it just comes into maybe the NFC is more top-heavy than the AFC. I think we can agree yep. on that. Again, we're talking with Kyle O'Connor, Kyle Football Nation, here on the Football Nation Today podcast. Speaking of the Saints, Kyle, uh, with everything that's occurred with them this offseason, um, has the NFC South now become, in your estimation, one of the more wide-open divisions in the league? Yeah. I'm, I mean, you really don't know what to get out of the Saints. You know, sometimes us against the world thing will work out. You know, they'll play really well, but you, you can't understand how much those coaching losses and even the personnel losses are going to hurt. Um, Jonathan Vilma won't be much of a loss. Curtis Lofton, David Hawthorne are both better than he is. Um, they'll step in well, but, you know, they don't have the understanding of the defense, uh, even though Greg Williams has left. And then, um, you know, a lot of people expect the Bucks to be better. I expect them to be a little better, honestly. Right. I don't think they'll be that bad. But, um, 
you know, I, I mean, it'll be better. And then the Falcons, they're always going to be there. Uh, they had some problems to address this offseason that they didn't. And then Cam's Panthers, I mean, watch out for them. They, yeah. they, they were, they're playing really well down the stretch last year, and if Cam can avoid a sophomore slump, they should be right there too. They get David Geddes healthy this season. That will be a big second option that they were lacking last season. And on and sticking the NFC, one last question, Kyle. Um, I think you may have touched on this earlier as well. I look at the NFC East. The defending Super Bowl champion Giants are in there. But as you mentioned, with the talent on the Cowboys roster, I feel as if we say that every yep. year, but Cowboys are so talented on paper at least. Uh, the Eagles should be better this year. They've added some stuff on you know, their interior, on their defense, on their lines, which they needed. They should be healthier. The NFC seems like a real dogfight to me, Kyle, too. And don't forget about the Redskins, who, with Rex Grossman at QB last year, weren't good, but they weren't a pushover. Robert Griffin the third, and some of the pieces they've added, they could even be a little better, too. Yeah, um, the East is – I would be surprised if the Redskins won the East, uh, honestly. But, oh, yeah, um, oh, yeah me too, other... but I'm saying, Kyle, they're yeah. not a pushover. Like, you know, like yeah, right, saying, yeah. Right. It's not going to be a bye week, for sure. Right. They uh, – I mean, they'll come to play, and then the other three teams, I mean, that that is just going to be a brawl to win these. Um, the Cowboys do have tons of talent. When you look at Tony Romo and then the running game, between DeMarco Murray, um, Felix Jones, and Philip Tanner, you, you know, it, it's pretty good enough for any backs to get you through. And then Miles Austin, Des Bryant, Jason Witten, you know, tons of help in the passing game. Uh, Tyron Smith last year played real well attack. I think they'll move him to the left side, and, you know, they're going to be able to protect Romo. And then defensively, you know, he added Brandon Carr, Morris Claiborne, and uh, Sean Lee. I'm a big Sean Lee fan, a middle linebacker. And, you know, obviously DeMarcus Ware coming off the edge. And then Philly Philly through the draft, you know, Fletcher, Fletcher Cox and uh, Vinny Curry. You know, they helped their cause on defense. I mean, it's, it's three really talented teams, and it'll, it'll definitely be a brawl. Uh, last point I want to head on with you, Kyle. Again, we're talking with Kyle O'Connor here in Football Nation today. Um, last year in the NFL, we again saw a lot of parity. But it seemed as if the parity was because there were just a lot of mediocre teams and not necessarily a lot of good teams, if that makes sense. I mean, pretty much every team, including Green Bay. I mean, statistically, remember, right. the Packers had one of the worst defenses in the league last year. It seemed like every team, even the really great ones like the Packers, had tangible holes. Are we set to see some similar climate in the league this year, Kyle, where even the really good teams like the Packers, the Patriots, the Giants even, have pretty significant holes that great teams of years past maybe wouldn't have had? I mean, I think so. I mean, even with the full offseason, teams are still going to go in with a lot of question marks. The Patriots will, Patriots will be one of the teams that are being class of the East, but uh, they're still going to have some unproven guys to see if they can get after the quarterback. Um, they, right. address, they, should, they should be fine with their deep threat. They addressed it with some wide receiver signings that they should be okay. And obviously they have those great tight ends. Um, the secondary is still going to be a question. Um, they'll get Dowling healthy, but he didn't play that well when he was healthy last year. And, uh, you know, when you look in the NFC, the Niners, quarterback is obviously still going to be a huge question with them. And uh, wide receiver, it's going to depend on what Randy Moss can get <laughs> him and uh, Mario Manningham. Yep. And then the Packers, you know, once again, uh, can they get good enough corner play, especially if they move Charles Woodson to safety? And if not, can they get good enough safety play? And uh, up front, you know, uh, we'll have to see what they can do with those guys. They, they brought in some good pieces in the draft, and uh, they're going to have to come in and produce right away on that defensive front. All right, Kyle O'Connor, you can read him here at footballnation.com, also featured on Fox Sports and MSN Yardbarker. Kyle, thanks for coming on the show. Any projects you want to let the listeners know about coming up on Football Nation before we, uh, before we let you go? Um, we're working on some uh, early fantasy rankings. 
you can uh, start preparing for your drafts early and uh, get that taken care of. All right, Kyle O'Connor, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Kyle O'Connor for joining us for the first down segment. Moving on to second down here, talking about an interesting article in Forbes magazine published late last week detailing the highest paid coaches in sports, and eight of the ten highest paid coaches in sports are actually NFL coaches. Uh, let me lead, read you the list, one through ten, then I have some deeper thoughts on the topic. Bill Belichick tops the list at $7.5 million per year. That is his salary. Mike Shanahan is right below Belichick at $7 million per year. Also at $7 million, Doc Rivers, coach of the Boston Celtics. Jeff Fisher, now coach of the St. Louis Rams. Pete Carroll up there at $7 million. Greg Popovich, coach of the Spurs, is at $6 million. Tied with Lovey Smith of the Bears, also at $6 million. And then we have two at $5.8 million. Ken Wisenhunt of the Cardinals. Mike Tomlin of the Steelers. And Andy Reid is number 10 at $5.5 million. Um, so eight of the top 10 highest paid coaches in sports. According to Forbes magazine, right now today, eight of those ten coaches are NFL coaches. And why is that the case? That's because the NFL is a coaches league. And we'll get into that in a moment. First, in regards to Bill Belichick's salary, at $7.5 million per season, he's actually underpaid, if you really think about it. And I know what you might be saying out there, oh, Alex, you're from the Boston area, is this podcast going to be a Patriots, Homer, Belichick, ass-kissing podcast? We have enough of that out there. No, in fact, because I am so close to the Patriots, I often take a cynical eye to them. In a couple of months, maybe even a couple of weeks, hell, maybe even by the end of the show, you'll be saying, well, Reamer, well, he's got an anti-Patriot bias. What's going on with him? Uh, so, trust me, not a Patriots footy pajama wearing person. In fact, I'm the opposite, because I'm not close to him. But... Belichick at $7.5 million per season is actually underpaid when you think about it. Not only is he the head coach and arguably the best head coach in football with three Super Bowl titles and four years under his belt, and, you know, what is it, five Super Bowl appearances in the past decade. I mean, so not only is he the best NFL head coach going today, he's also essentially the team's defensive coordinator. So he's doing that job, and he's also the team's GM. Yeah, he works in conjunction with, of course, members of the Kraft family and Nick Casario as well. Does a lot of the salary cap maneuvering and a lot of the negotiations. But Bill Belichick, for all intents and purposes, is also the Patriots' general manager. So, by that count, Belichick is performing two and a half to three jobs. Head coach, general manager, and pretty much the de facto defensive coordinator, too. And for a while, the Patriots didn't even have a defensive coordinator a couple years ago. So... Belichick, the past several years, has been doing two and a half to three jobs. Head coach, D coordinator, general manager. And he's getting paid seven and a half million dollars for all three? By that margin, by that count, he's underpaid. If you can wrap your head around that. And the way it's set up here in New England, there's no doubt in my mind that Bill Belichick is the most valuable commodity in the National Football League. Now, back to what I was saying earlier before I got off on that little tangent. Eight of the top ten highest paid coaches in sports are NFL coaches. Why? Because as I was beginning to say, the NFL is a coaches league. That's the perception, and that is the reality. Coaches in the NFL set the system. They get to bring in their own staff. In baseball, that's not necessarily the case. You hire a new baseball manager, 
Sometimes he gets to pick his pitching coach and his hitting coach, but not always. For example, here with the Red Sox, Bobby Valentine was brought in on a two-year deal. Red Sox got a new pitching coach, Bob McClure, but the hitting coach, Dave Magadan, stayed the same from Terry Francona. So, and that's just one example out of many. You know, So rarely in baseball does the manager get to really pick his own staff. In basketball, the coach doesn't always get to pick his own staff. In hockey, the coach doesn't always get to pick his own staff with the frequent turnover in that league especially. But in football, the head coach sets the system, gets to bring in his own staff. I mean, that's why eight of the top ten highest paid coaches in the league uh, are football coaches. That's why a guy like Pete Carroll makes $7 million per season with the Seahawks, even though he has zero previous legitimate NFL success. That's why Ken Wisenhunt, who really had no head coaching experience prior to joining Arizona, gets $5.8 million per season because teams make a real investment in these head coaches. They make an investment in the coaching scheme. They make an investment in the staff the coach is going to bring in. Even if the coach is not the official GM like Belichick is in New England, the coach in the NFL still has way more control over his roster than the coach in the NBA and NHL or certainly the manager in baseball. Um, and a big reason why the coach has so much control over everything in the NFL and most particularly his roster, even if he's not the official GM, the reason that is, of course, is because there are no guaranteed contracts in the NFL. Players do not have any Leverage. If you're not performing up to standard, if you're not performing up to the system, if you're not fulfilling your role in the system, the coach can cut your ass and they can pay whatever guaranteed money they have left on the deal and then you're off the book. See you later. And, you know, you're signed to a five year deal and they cut you in year three. The team isn't on the hooks for years four and five as well, as they would be in baseball, as they would be in basketball, as they would be in hockey, where there are, of course, guaranteed contracts. So that's the biggest reason why head coaches are so valuable in the NFL, and that's the reason why they're paid so highly, and that's the reason why the NFL, more than any other sport, is a coach's league, because the players do not have guaranteed contracts, and thus they don't really have any leverage against the head coach. Player doesn't like the head coach? Well, the owner likes the head coach. If the GM likes the head coach, then too bad. The player's the one who's going to go because the bigger guaranteed investment has been made in the head coach. Head coaches have guaranteed contracts. Players don't. That's why coaches have the leverage in the NFL. I mean, you will never ever see a Stan Van Gundy situation in the NFL. Stan Van Gundy was fired this week by the Orlando Magic. Why? Because Magic star player Dwight Howard wanted Van Gundy out. Didn't want to play for him anymore. And in the NBA, Stan Van Gundy is a terrific basketball coach. Took the Magic to the finals in 2009. Uh, he's a terrific coach. He'll undoubtedly land another high-profile gig. But in the NBA, the player, the superstar player in Howard's case, is far more viable than the head coach, even if the head coach is as accomplished and talented and widely respected as Stan Van Gundy is. So the NBA in particular... But hockey to an extent, certainly baseball to a significant extent as well, it's the players who have the power, the coaches don't have the power because the players too have guaranteed contracts. And the NFL, the biggest reason why I can think of it's a coaches league, not a players league, at least in comparison to the other three major sports in this country, is because look who has the guaranteed contracts, the coaches, not the players, and thus the coaches have most, if not all, of the leverage in a lot of scenarios. Now it's time for our third down segment, Big Up or Slow Down. If you remember on last week's show, this is where I make a statement. And then if I agree with the statement, it's a big up. If 
I disagree with the statement, it's a slowdown. Number one, big up or slowdown. The Eagles have signed running back Rashawn McCoy to a five-year extension worth $20.8 million guaranteed with $45 million maximum. Big up or slow down, the Eagles will regret that contract. My statement here is big up. The Philadelphia Eagles will regret the Rashawn McCoy five-year extension. And it actually ties in to a little bit of what we were talking about last week on the show. See how everything ties in here on Football Nation today. Um, the money around the league is being thrown at wide receivers. It's certainly, it's, it's always going to be thrown at quarterbacks, but as far as outside of the quarterbacks on offense, it's now being thrown at wide receivers, not being thrown at running backs. It's a pass oriented league on defense. The money is being thrown at outside linebackers, defensive ends, not necessarily middle linebackers, certainly not nose tackles. Um, that's where the money is being spent. Because that's the direction where the league is going. And the Eagles are not signing on to that with this extension here. With Sean McCoy, five-year extension with $20.8 million guaranteed, $45 million maximum. Now, you may be saying, Alex, the Eagles are a team last year who had a you know, prolific quarterback in Mike Vick, though he spent most of the year hurt, had you know, wide receivers like Deshaun Jackson who could stretch the field. Uh, you know, they had some guys outside who could get to the quarterback, and they were mediocre at best. So... Doesn't that fly in the face of your theory that it's all about skilled players? No, it doesn't, because it's also about system, guys. You still need to have a respectable offense. An offensive line is so important. Eagles offensive line struggled last year. You still need to have a solid core on your defensive line. You still, It does still help to have a respectable running game. Just my point is that's not where the money is going in the league, you know? You draft that. You develop that. You know Where the money is going in the league, though, on the free agent market or at the top of the draft is the skill position on offense, wide receiver, and what I like to call skill defensive positions, outside linebacker and defensive end. The Eagles with their Sean McCoy contract um, buck that trend. Uh, the Eagles sign him now as McCoy is entering the final year of his rookie deal after set a franchise record with 17 touchdowns last season. This contract takes him until his 28. And frankly, it's unlikely McCoy will last this contract because if you look at the recent trend of running backs with the beating they take, it's unlikely McCoy can continue this production for even three years. Uh, look, just as a rule, I rare, especially with the direction the league is going in now, but also with the, uh, but also with, um, the volatile nature of running backs and their performances, uh, I rarely sign myself up for a long-term commitment to a running back in today's NFL. That's not where the money has been spent. It's too risky an investment. So I think, maybe not this year, but... Even a couple years down the line, yes, big up, the Eagles will regret this extension given to LaShawn McCoy. Big up or slow down, West Welker is the worst negotiator ever. We talked about this a little bit last week, expanding on that this week. It is a big up. Uh, over the weekend, West Welker rescinded all comments he made on Twitter against the Patriots. What comments did he make on Twitter against the Patriots, Alex? Well, he didn't really say much. He did sign his tender last week, and then he just tweeted, leap of faith. You know, like a leap of faith. I did the right thing. Let's see if the Patriots do the right thing by me. And Welker had to apologize for that over the weekend. And he didn't even really say anything. And he's the worst negotiator ever. Because as I said last week on the show, the only way you get money from the Patriots is if you speak up. Is if you cause a stink. Like Richard Seymour did. Like Vince Wolfork did to an extent. Certainly like Logan Mankins did a couple years ago. What happened to Logan Mankins? Ugly extension. Messy extension. He held out. 
but he got paid. Logan Mankins is now the highest paid guard in the league. Wes Walker gave up all of his leverage once he signed the tender because now he's contractually obligated to report to mandatory, to mandatory camp. And if he holds out of mandatory camp, he's going to get fined. So Wes Walker, by signing the tender in May, mid-May, gave up all of his leverage. And now he can't even play hardball via Twitter or through the media because he rescinded all comments he's made, even though he's really said nothing. All he said was leap of faith. So, unfortunately for Wes Walker, it's a business. The Crafts and the Patriots are not your friends, Wes. They're not. And they're playing you right now because you've allowed them to. They don't have to give you a long-term extension. They have you franchised for this year, and they could franchise you for next year, too. And even though it's big money, you know, $9.4 million this year, eleven point five, I believe it is next year, it's certainly at big money, but they don't have to take that long-term risk with you because you're not demanding them to. You're just... You're keeping the ball in. You're, you're keeping the ball in their court. You're not taking it in your court, which is what you have to do with the Patriots is make instead if you want to get a long-term deal extension out of them. Big up or slow down with the announcement that Brandon Whedon will likely be the Browns' starting quarterback this season. They should trade Colt McCoy. Uh, I say slow down here. There's no guarantee that Brandon Whedon is going to be a successful starter in the NFL. So why trade Colt McCoy? I mean, what if Brandon Whedon craps the bed midseason? Then you're left scrummaging around, going on the waiver wire, picking up another veteran, a stopgap guy, and then you have to go to the draft the next year. I understand Colt McCoy is disappointed in, in Cleveland. I understand Mike Holmgren may not be enamored with Colt McCoy as a quarterback. But Colt McCoy had a lot of success in college. He's shown some very brief flashes, emphasis on the words, very brief, uh, in the NFL. Um, I don't see any harm, frankly, in keeping Colt McCoy on your roster to start the year until at least Brandon Whedon can show he can be a more legitimate option as a starting quarterback. Big up or slow down? Final one. A team should take a chance on Terrell Owens and sign him and bring him into camp this year. Terrell Owens, of course, was on the Dr. Phil show last week. He's run into financial problems, has a lot of kids, a lot of mothers. Out of money is T.O. He said his phone is still ready, ready to field a call for an NFL team any day. Um, but I say slow down. Terrell Owens doesn't have it anymore in the field. Um, the little he can give you on the field is not worth the distraction. He would be off the field. Uh, so a big slow down here. Uh, no team should take a chance on Terrell Owens for the upcoming NFL season. It is our fourth down segment, the Reamer rant segment. I like to get hot. I like to get bothered. And this week, it is about Bounty Gate a little bit, but uh, it has to do with something the NFLPA is doing. I'm reading this off of ESPN.com, their NFL section. Quote, with the Saints Bounty case, moving to grievance hearings in court, NFL owners will talk about player safety when they meet on Tuesday. So yesterday. The issue is on the agenda for the owner's session in Atlanta, where Commissioner Roger Goodell is certain to be asked about Saints linebacker Jonathan Vilma's defamation lawsuit against him. Meanwhile, Goodell's authority for, administer for administering discipline is being challenged by the Players' Union. Vilma and three other players suspended for their roles in the pay-for-hit system um, are essentially saying that Roger Goodell can't administer discipline against them because the bounty gate took place before this new CBA was signed. 
And the article goes on to say, the union filed a grievance with an arbiter asserting that Goodell has no power to discipline players for actions that occurred before the league's current labor agreement was signed last August. Vilma and current Saints teammate defensive end Will Smith, plus former Saint Anthony Hargrove, a defensive end now with Green Bay, and Scott Fujita, a linebacker now with Cleveland, have appealed their suspensions. Smith got four games, Hargrove eight, and Fujita three. Close quote. What does this show? Told you it all goes full circle here in Football Nation. This goes with our big topic last week regarding the Junior Seau tragedy, potential lessons that may have been learned from that, and how I said none of this will really change till the players start respecting themselves a little bit. Well, what does this show, this piece of news? This shows that the players' union is really not all that serious about player safety themselves. They're just interested in ensuring that their players, their guys, make the most money. And, you know, it comes across as so disingenuous to rail about player safety on one hand, and on the other hand, appeal suspensions handed out to players who were part of a bounty system in which they were paid to take a, in which they were paid to take opposing players out. I mean, isn't that so disingenuous? On one hand, you're talking about the NFL and the NFL owners are not doing all they care to protect player safety. But then on the other hand, you're you're filing grievances against the league based on suspensions they handed out to players who were doing things that were detrimental to player safety. How does that make any sense? It makes absolutely no sense. Now, of course, they're appealing these suspensions because the game checks won't be coming through for Jonathan Vilma. The game checks this year won't be coming through for Anthony Hargrove while he's suspended. The game checks won't be coming through for Scott Fujita while he's suspended this year. The players are going to lose out on money. And the players' union's number one job, and it seems as if their only job, is to ensure the players get their money. Health be damned. Health be damned. And it's really the same attitude the NFL owners have exerted. Except, the players are concerned with making the most money for themselves, and the owners here are concerned about making the most money for themselves. It's both sides trying to get a bigger piece of the pie. Neither side is really all that concerned about player safety. And until the players step up and show a legitimate, real concern, not just a dog and pony show, but a real, non-hypocritical concern, unfortunately, the NFL can continue to hand out these stiff suspensions, they can have players sign waivers, but unfortunately, not a lot of, about the league is going to change. As I said last week on the show, almost verbatim, how can we expect the owners or the coaches to respect the players when the players don't even really ex uh, respect the players? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer. As, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Football Nation Today podcast will be published each and every Wednesday here on footballnation.com as we get towards the tail end of the summer. And once training camps begin, we'll, we may change our schedule. But for now, for the time being, for the summer months, all you need to know is the NFL Nation Today podcast published every Wednesday. Thanks go out to all of you who have listened. Again, thanks go out to Football Nation contributor Kyle O'Connor for joining the show. We'll look to incorporate more interviews into future episodes. As always, feel free to drop me a line or follow me on Twitter 
at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. And also shoot me an email. My email address is areamer at bu.edu. So long, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully the weather's nice for you. We'll talk to you next on the NFL Nation Today po- on the Football Nation Today podcast. We'll talk to you next next Wednesday. So long. Talk to you then.